Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. speaker up. Hayden Coffey is going to speak this morning. We're really excited about this. <laughs> and um, so just one little unique thing about Skyline, how Greg Dewey and Todd Lovelace, when they planted Skyline, their goal was that our church wouldn't be dominated by one ver- voice, that we wouldn't be personality driven. So I've had multiple people say, I visited your church four times, Jonathan, I've never heard you speak. And I'm like, okay, that's good. It means I'm, I'm sticking to the original vision. So because we believe God has gifted so many in this church to preach the word of God, right? It's not just paid people who get to preach. So Hayden is paid because she's our children's pastor, right? So, but this month you're going to see a couple people who aren't on staff preach. Lance Humphrey's going to preach. Adam Luck is going to preach. And you're also going to see two of our young leaders on staff, Chase Dewey and Hayden. And what our our other big thing is we really want to empower our young leaders. We feel like God has brought us incredible, young, visionary, godly leaders, and we want them to share because Hayden has wisdom. She's sharing on friendship this morning, Mm -hmm. and I'm so excited. So I'm going to pray for you, Hayden, and uh, we're going to get started. So God, thank you for Hayden Coffee. Thank you for her life, for her love for you, and her wisdom, God, um, as she reads your word. And we just want to be good soil this morning to hear what your word has to say about this really important topic. So we love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, So yeah, I'm super humbled to be here. I'm super honored to get the stage. When Jonathan asked me, he was like, friendship, Proverbs. I was like, yes, fun topic. And then I started reading and I was like, oh my gosh, the Lord is doing this in me right now. Okay, here we go. So I would like to say that I am on the other side. It's a lot more fun to teach something when you say, well, I've done this. Look what God has done. And it's a little bit more vulnerable and risky to say, well, I'm in the middle of this and this is what he's doing in me currently. So you're going to get the raw version of this today. Also, I teach small people in the back. Downstairs, usually you're small people. So they're a lot more interactive. So if you have something to say, shout it out. You're not going to throw me off. Just agree, nod, you know, make me feel a little bit better, more comfortable being up here. But um, no, really, I love getting to teach your children. It's a privilege. And I wasn't planning on saying this, but I was really overcome. I think I was going to cry. But with emotion, dedicating these children today. Um, Sorry. Um, To see a church body that we get to belong to that values discipleship, that values friendship in such a way um, that your children will get to grow up witnessing what real community looks like, what real reconciliation, what real humility and serving one another out of love looks like. I joked that when I first started, I didn't actually know whose children were who because they all would run to different people because they love each other so much. I'm like, oh, that's it. No, that's not it. Oh, no, who do they belong to? And so it took me a little bit. I'm still learning. If I think they're yours and they're not, forgive me. Um, But it's just such a joy and a privilege to get to be up here and to um, talk about something that's so 
important and valuable to God. And so what we do with the kids, I get to do with you today, so buckle up. But I usually ask a question to kind of instate wonder in their hearts. And the question that came to mind that the Lord challenged me with was, who has changed you by loving you? I want you to think about that person in your life that you had said, man, I'm different because of the way that they have chosen to be a friend to me and the way that they have chosen to operate with me. Maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's an aunt or an uncle, but someone whose relationship with you has made you more in the image of who God has made you to be. I hope that person's Jesus. If it's not, you'll hear about him today, so no worries. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, But I just wanted us to think about that and sit with that as we go through the content today. Um, And before I dive into what Proverbs has to say, um, I wanted to dismantle a little bit about what you usually see the world's context for friendship is and what the biblical value of friendship is. So um, first, this is for context of friendships within the church. I hope and pray you have friends who aren't like you, who are not Jesus followers. It is so important for us to share and show that love and that unity to those outside. But there is a standard that we are called to as believers that we get to challenge one another in, yeah? So first, um, friendship was God's idea. It started before we were ever part of the equation. Before time began, there was Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect unity and communion. And then he extended the invitation. He said, do you want to be part of it? I'm going to send my son and you'll get access to us, to him. And so it's his idea and it started with him. And so we are just conduits and steward of the gift we've been given. So in that, uh, Romans 5.10 came to mind. It said, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, while I was still his enemy. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has made us friends of God. What a gift and a gift that we get to give away. Also, today is not about them out there. It's really funny. You know, when we start talking about friendship, it's like, oh, I got that one person. Like, they're hard. I'm going to learn how to deal with them today. You got the wrong day. I'm so sorry. But today is about us. It's about our own hearts and our responsibility as believers and how we walk in humility and serve one another in humility. Friendship begins with us. It began with God. He gave it to us, and it begins with us. And it's not about the outcome. It's not about what people respond with. It's not about they're not giving me what I need. You know, you see it in the world, and it's like, well, this friendship no longer serves me, so that's it. I'm done. I'm good. When this no longer serves my agenda, my expectations, when you no longer meet my needs, that's why we see so much of that cancel culture happening right now. I think it's pretty safe to say we're not more unified now than we were two years ago, right? And when we think about that, why? Because friendship became about us, and it became about ideologies that weren't actually serving the kingdom of God more than heaven itself, heaven on earth. And we started staking our flag in the ground about things that really are they that important? I'm not saying they're not valuable. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Thank you, Greg, for that, that little thing. You know, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not that those things aren't valuable, but are they really more important than the person sitting across from you? Truly. Were your family holidays a little bit weird this year? Maybe. I hope not. But maybe was, uh, was that friendship that you thought was going to last forever now dissipated? Usually it doesn't just happen overnight. Usually it's not that one big blow up that's like, well, now we're not friends anymore. Usually it's the small offenses, the small hurts, the small things that pile up until one day that one small thing lands on top and then somehow it just falls away, right? So we don't want to be those people. That's not who we are as children of God. 
And then, third, it goes with this, but friendship's not a means to an end. It's not about convenience. It's not about, um, are they like me? Do they have the same socioeconomic status as me? Do they believe all the same things as me? If we are united by the Spirit and we are one in Him, that's the qualification. And when we let God form our friendships and when we do what he says, there are friends in my life that I never, ever dreamed would be there. If I picked them out in the crowd, I'm sure a lot of you have that same thing. If you were scanning the crowd and you think, oh, that's going to be my friend. It's usually not the person God gives to you. And they're usually the ones that you're like, I am changed by that person because the spirit united us and they had something I didn't know I needed. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. So um, with that, Galatians 5, uh, 5, 13 through 16 says, For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your own sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. I've seen a lot of biting and devouring, and I just thought about, the Lord just gave me this image, as a parent, when your kids are disagreeing, when you see them not liking each other, what does that do to you? What does that do to your heart? When you see your children not honoring each other, not speaking life over each other, not forgiving each other, what does that do to you? It breaks our hearts. And it breaks my heart. I'm not even a parent. When I see kids, I'm like, no, there's a better way, right? And I have a sense that, you know, and through his truth, that God has a better way for us, too. And so the two themes he highlighted to me, um, I was like, really? We're going there? All right, God, we're doing it. So um, we're forgiveness and reconciliation and speaking the truth in love. And so in preparation for today, I was studying through Proverbs and kind of looking at the whole history of friendship and the scriptures. Um, But then I read Bonhoeffer's Life Together. If you haven't read it, such a good read. You're going to get a lot of it today. So I'm giving you teasers. You might as well, you know, maybe you don't have to read the book because I'm going to give you a lot today. But um, the first quote that came to mind, he makes this important distinction between human relationship and spiritual relationship. And there's a big difference in the heart posture in that. Human relationship is about what we gain. Spiritual relationship is laying our life down for our brothers and sisters. So I'm going to read this real quick and then we'll dive in. Contrary to all my own opinions and convictions, Jesus Christ will tell me what love toward the brethren really is. Therefore, spiritual love is bound solely to the word of Jesus Christ, because spiritual love does not desire, but rather it serves. It loves an enemy as a brother, and it originates, this is important, neither in the brother nor in the enemy, but in Christ in his word. Christ in his word. We were singing about forgiveness. We were singing about how Jesus paid it all for us. And yet sometimes we think we have the right, and I don't mean this to step on toes, but sometimes I'm, this, I'm the first in line. We're the first one in line to say, I know what's best for your life. You've offended me. I'm done. And that does not look like Jesus. It doesn't look like we are acting out of the truth of a God who paid it all for us, of a king who gave his life, who met me when I was his enemy and said, I want you. Not before you clean it up, not before you get it right, but I want you. So we get to meet people the same way. So forgiveness and reconciliation, here we go. In Proverbs, it says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. I have seen this, right? Where the offense happens and you no longer alignment with me. Not about the kingdom, not about, but maybe something that honestly was probably still really hurtful, but did that damage and offense was held on to. And I was challenged by a friend the other day with a question, is it offense taken or is it offense given? Are we taking offense 
or were they meaning to give offense, right? Now, sometimes people do say things out that were meaning to be hurtful, but most of the time, someone doesn't wake up that day and think, you know what, I'm going to ruin Hayden's day. I'm just going to do whatever I can to make sure she is miserable. I'm going to offend her. No one wakes up like that, or I hope they don't, but most people do not. And so when people brush up against us in their sin and their stuff sloshes out onto us, we are really quick to evaluate the situation and go, well, they, they meant it. They just must be ugly. They might, you know, and it's like, we think we know the heart of man, but only God does. And so is it offense taken or is it offense given? That's been a really good framework for me to kind of run things through, to say like, I don't think they probably meant it that way. So what are we to do? What's our responsibility as believers? Proverbs 17:9 says, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. And then verse 14 says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so stop the matter before a dispute breaks out. God fostered love with us by covering over our offenses. Have you ever had that experience? Like, I've been wrong, and someone moves towards me and says, I love you anyways. You know what? Don't worry about it. I'm for you. It's freeing, right? It is so freeing when someone more moves towards us in love and says, yeah, I'm going to cover that offense with love. I'm not going to pay you back for what you deserve. Oh, gosh, it's like, okay, I can do anything, right? Like, we, we can do anything together because my mess and your mess, we're going to come together regardless, and we're going to honor God together. Um, and then Proverbs 20, 22 says, Don't say, I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. This is hard for me. <laughs> We love control, right? We're like, nope, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do it my way. Thanks, God. I know what you say, but I'm going in, right? But this isn't a stagnant thing. Waiting is like, well, God must have it, so I don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to do anything about it. That's not what he means. Um, Matthew 18 comes, uh, brought, was brought to mind, and so when it says go to a brother directly, one-on-one, most of the time when I'm offended, I want to go to everyone around me and say, hey, justify me, validate me. Hello, did you see what they did? Yeah, um, I'm uncomfortable, and this is why. And then we want to nurture that offense more than we want to lay it down because we want to be validated and justified in it by those around us, right? And it is not just one of us. I think we've all had those moments where it's like, oh, I'm just so mad, and we need someone else to tell us that it's okay rather than loving us enough to say, I know that hurt. I'm so sorry, but have you given it back to the Lord? Have you forgiven that person? It's a lot easier to say like, oh yeah, totally. You should be so upset about that. Yeah, you should, you should hold on to that. You should tell them why they offended you rather than approaching them in grace. Still go to them. And then if that doesn't work, it says bring a friend. Bring a close, trusted friend. One-on-one. Bring a brother or sister. And then if that doesn't work, guess what? Church leadership. That's what they're here for. That's the beauty of the body is you don't have to do it alone. And it's not we're going in to attack this one because they need to just get it together. It's love. It's mercy. It's grace. It's not a a ministry of condemnation. That's not how God meets us. So that's surely how we should not handle conflict resolution. That's not how we should not hold offense in our hearts. So how do we reconcile? Romans 12, 21 says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And I love 2 Corinthians 5 is talking about the ministry of reconciliation for the sake of salvation. But when we talk about reconciliation, if we're not doing it in here, how are we going to take it out there, right? Like I think about it, if I'm holding unforgiveness and then I go to try and tell someone who's not walking with the Lord about reconciliation and they know my junk, they're going to be like, eee, no thanks. 
you know? I see what goes on inside your house, right? I don't want part of that. But we should be one as they are one. We should come together as brothers and sisters, as family of God. We don't always have to agree or see eye to eye, but we move towards one another in unity because that's how the Trinity was designed. That's what we're invited into. So I love what it says. It says, so we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view and how differently we know him now. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. I'm not saying to pretend like it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying to just brush over it and say, well, I just need to forgive them. Sometimes forgiveness is a repeated matter. Sometimes it takes day in and day out and say, God, I need you to take this. And the timing is really important, right? Like knowing when God wants us to handle the matter. I had a friend in college that I kind of had this weird falling out with, and it wasn't a big dispute, but it was just this small gradual distancing. And like four years later, the Lord put her on my heart. I was like, no, (laughs) Mm -mm. nope, that's okay. And he was like, no, do it. And for two days, he was just on me. And I was like, okay. And I reached out and it was wonderful. I mean, the dialogue, she, I mean, we just had the most beautiful conversation. And I think if I would have tried to do that two years sooner, it might not have been time. I wanted to, but I didn't feel peace, right? And so waiting on God's timing, moving towards one another and reconciliation, is just really important. But we have to remember that he defends our cause. He's our justifier. We don't need to defend or justify ourselves. That's the beauty of it, is he has the final say. And we can go satisfied in that and know that I don't have to prove myself in this. And even if they don't respond, as far as it's concerned with you, be at peace. And how they respond is up to God. He begins the work. He finishes it. We just get to participate. So that's reconciliation. And then the last one, uh, the last verse about how do we do that is Proverbs 25, 21. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. What does that look like when someone's offended you in serving them? That's a servant-hearted nature. Now, we like the last half of this first. It'll keep burning coals of shame on our heads. Some of us are like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, motive of our heart is really important in this, right? So the way that we approach this is really important to God. But so how do we serve that person who's hurt us? How countercultural, how like Jesus, when we have hurt him, when we have gone against his nature, and then he serves us with the disciples. Think about how Peter was feeling when Jesus washed their feet. Think about that. He was probably like, he was like, mm-mm, I, mm, don't touch me. And the Lord was like, no, come, let me do this. Would we be people like that who forgive and reconcile in that way and not to leave things unsaid, but to really do the deep work of healing and forgiveness. And the beauty of this church is you're in a safe place to do that. We have ministries, we have prayer teams, we have people who have done a lot more training and a lot of really wonderful things to help us work through that stuff so it doesn't have to hold us in bondage anymore. I've gone through it twice. I'm probably gonna go through it again because I'm like, okay, Lord, there's more, right? But we have people and teams here who you're not the only one who would be doing it. And the more it can live in the light, the freer we really are to actually be who we're made to be and love of God and love his people. So um, there's a quote by Bonhoeffer again that I, that I thought he put it more beautifully than I could have, so I'm going to read it to you. Um, but it's about sin. And so it says, even when sin and misunderstanding burden the communal life, 
Is not the sinning brother still a brother with whom I too stand under the word of Christ? Will not his sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God in Jesus Christ? Thus the very hour of disillusionment with my brother becomes incomparably salutary because it so thoroughly teaches me that neither of us can ever live by our own words and deeds, but only by that one word and deed, which really binds us together, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And it's fun to talk about and to sing about and raise our hands. But if we don't sit with that, that's why we do communion. We sit with the forgiveness of Jesus. We let that change us. It's from overflow. Forgiveness doesn't just happen when we will ourselves into it. It is sitting and receiving and saying, God, make me a conduit of your mercy and your grace to those around me. Because it's not easy. And I know I'm not convenient and easy to love all the time. I have a lot of friends and family here. You can ask after service. (laughs) But in their mercy, because they've sat and received from the Lord, meet me with grace. And it has changed me. It has changed me. So... We're going to talk about our words now really quickly. Um, Proverbs has a lot to say about words. Life and death is in the tongue, right? What we say really matters. We can't get it back. Sometimes I'm an over-talker, so I'm like, (laughs) me and a friend were talking. We'll go into a situation and just, and then we'll leave, and we're like, oh, I did it again. I overshared. I did the thing, you know? We joke about it. But words are really important, and speaking the truth in love and in boldness is um, really important to the heart of God. So what's it warn against? We'll start there. Proverbs 11, 12 through 13 says, it is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. In Proverbs 29.5 says to flatter a friend is to lay a trap for their feet. So we see two ends of the spectrum here, right? Belittling, gossiping, I think we can all agree, like, not the best use of our words, right? But then flattery is kind of one of those things where it's like, well, what's really the harm, you know? We're just making people feel good. But flattery, when, I'm, when, when I don't want to call that friend to tell them about what's going on in my heart, I know I probably should, right? Because they're not going to flatter me and bolster my ego to make me feel good about whatever's lingering in my spirit. And flattery actually isn't loving. Truth is encouragement, absolutely, we should be doing that, admonishing, building one another up, encouraging each other in our giftings and in our strengths. We should be doing that, but flattery is saying, oh no, that's fine, don't worry about it, right? But then belittling and gossiping, I think that's an easy one for us to slip into and not think much about. Like, we'll just do it and be like, well, it does, they don't know about it, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to challenge you, though. When you do that, because we've all done it, no one has escaped from this, right? When you do that, go directly to that person and ask for their forgiveness, it is terrifying. I had to do this not long ago, and I was like, I shared this, and I shouldn't have. And it wasn't anything big. It really was like a small thing, but in the grand scheme, I was like, I am nauseous. I do not want to do this. But when it was brought into the light, they were like, oh, don't, that didn't bother me at all. But thank you for coming to me. And that deeper trust was built when I can say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And that relationship is actually strengthened and more deeply unified because of that. So what should we be doing? Proverbs 15.4 says, Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes a spirit. Gentleness isn't this like passive, like, oh, no, you're doing great. No, it is strength under control. Gentleness in biblical terms means strength under control. So in our authority in Christ, speaking gentle words over someone means encouraging them and mandating them and calling them higher and strengthening in their image of who God has made them to be. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So I love the root words of things in the Bible. It's like my favorite thing of all time. I only did it once, so you're welcome. I didn't geek out too hard. But in this context, it says, so friend, the first meaning for friend is servant. And then the second word for friend is companion. 
so by sharpening someone, you are serving your companion. You are serving that person around you. Sharpening, we're like, ah, oh, it's like ugly and messy, and we, and we rub up against each other and all these things, but in reality, it's actually a gift to that person. It's actually a loving thing that we can be doing. And I bet that person we thought about at the beginning of our time is someone who did that for you, who spoke the truth in love, who encouraged you, who saw who you were, not how you were acting, and encouraged you into that person. They probably didn't flatter you. They definitely didn't belittle you, but they believed in who God was in you, right? And they agreed with that and say, I see it, and I call it up, and I call it higher, and we get to do that for each other. What a gift. So Proverbs 24, 26 says, an honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. And Proverbs 27, 6 says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. I have a friend who I was with several months back and we were driving in the car and um, I'm just pouring my heart out. You know, I'm sharing what the Lord's teaching me and all these things and I'm crying and I see the look on her face and I was like, oh no, <laughs> she's going to tell me what I don't want to hear. <laughs> and she said, do you know I love you? And I said, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh gosh, what is she going to say? And she was like, you are living out of a lie and it doesn't honor God. And I was like, okay. And my flesh was like, oh, you're wrong. Don't tell me what to do. You know, I was like, no. And then um, my, th thankfully the spirit came in and said, no, listen. And she called out this lie that I'd been believing basically my entire life. And she was like, oh, no, this isn't who you are. This isn't who God made you to be. And I kid you not, every time since then, it's been six, eight months now, every time that lie tries to show its head, that truth comes up and I'm reminded. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. No, and she loved me enough to call me in that and say, no, you're living, you're living in this way and that's not honoring, stop it. And I was like, fine, <laughs> okay, I won't anymore. And then I left and I was like, kind of hurt, but then I was like, no, she loves me, she's for me, she knows my heart and she sees who I'm becoming and she loves me enough to do that. So the spirit kind of gave me this like revelation as I was praying and, and seeking and he said, speaking the truth in love means coming into agreement with who God is making that person into not the version we want them to be. When we speak the truth in love, it hurts. I mean, sometimes it's like, oh, that pierced me. I don't like that. But when there's a different heart posture where we want to control and we want to see the outcome be what we want it to be because it makes our lives more comfortable, more convenient, that's actually harmful, right? There's a difference in those two things, harmful words and hurtful words. It doesn't say bring harmful words to the table, which I do and I've had to repent of many times, right? But our heart motive is so important that when we come to someone and say, I am joining an agreement with who God wants you to be, not this version I need you to be so that it serves my own methods or it serves my own convenience. That's not what community is about. And so we get to agree with God and say, I see who you're making this person into. I say yes to that and I'm going to bless that and encourage it the whole time and say, hey, friend, come back. This is the better way, right? I see you're doing this over there, but get your eyes back on Jesus. And I hope we do that for one another because I need that too. And so if I'm not that friend, how can I expect friends to be that for me, right? So you are shaped by who you spend the most time with. You are. Your life grows in the direction of the influences that you have. And it is so important to remember that because who we choose to put in our circle means that we need to be that friend and then create that kind of atmosphere with our friends. So this is the product that I, that I saw in Proverbs of friendship like that. In Proverbs 27, 9, it says, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is sweet as perfume and incense. Proverbs 10, 11 says, the words of the godly are life-giving fountain. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. And Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another in acts of love and good works. 
we get to be that for people. We get to be that life-giving fountain. We get to motivate each other towards acts of love and good works and heartfelt counsel. But if we don't speak the truth in love and we don't learn how to reconcile and forgive, how will we ever get the chance to do those things? So it starts with humbling ourselves. So um, we get to outdo one another in honor and not feel like we have to do the work for God and others, right? We are free. We are freed up to not have, be in charge of everyone else out there. We get to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God and say, you are God, I am not. And I trust you with this person's life. And I love them because you love them. And that's enough. That's enough. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Um, I have one more quote that I'll read by Bonhoeffer. um, And then I have a challenge for us. So he says, spiritual love proves itself in everything it says and does commends Christ. It will meet the other person with the clear word of God and be ready to leave him alone with this word for a long time, willing to release him again in order that Christ may deal with him. It will respect the line that has been drawn between him and us by Christ, and it will find full fellowship with him in Christ alone who binds us together. We get to speak the truth in love, and we get to leave people with it and say, I love you, I'm for you, and regardless of what you choose, I'm with you. Because whether it's hard, or it's ugly, or it's good, or it's messy, or things just hit the fan, I'm not going anywhere. Because friendship's a choice. Marriage is a choice, but there's covenant, right? So this is really unique in the fact that we just choose to stay because we choose to. And when you have a friend like that, it changes everything. We have a friend like that named Jesus, and it changed everything for us, right? So now we get to carry that to those around us. So what does this require of us? What does it cost us? What does it cost us if we do these things? What does it cost us if we don't, right? If we don't do these things, man, how does that affect the life that you're going to have together with others? And if we do, what will that cost us too? And then I want to ask you, are your friendships building the kingdom in and through you and through those around you?